Keep Believing is the title of the message from our study out of the Gospel of Mark. Finding and following Jesus, we've been marching verse by verse through this Gospel. We'll be doing that all year long, excited about what God is going to give us today. Keep Believing. Let me get you caught up on where we are in the book of Mark. Starting at the end of chapter 4, Jesus told the disciples uh, to get into a boat and go to the other side to an area that was known as Decapolis. Decapolis was a region that, they, that had these ten city-states. It was populated mostly by Gentiles. And so Jesus was, was come to give the gospel not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And so he's going to this region to, to, to grow his kingdom. On the way, the disciples faced this terrible storm that we studied last week was a satanic storm at its origin or, or two weeks ago. And so Jesus had to rebuke the storm and then the disciples soon got to the other side only to be met on the shore by a man that was possessed with 6,000 demons. We studied last week, miraculously, Jesus set him free and changed his life, proving the biblical fact that, that the Savior's power to deliver is always greater than Satan's efforts to destroy. Always. In this crowd, um, well, let me say this. After he got done healing the demoniac man, setting him free, the demoniac man wanted to go back with Jesus to, to the Jewish country where he would have been more welcome than by his own people. But Jesus said, no, you got to stay here. They need to see a changed life. So you stay in Decapolis, but the people in Decapolis want us gone, so we're, we're gone. He and his disciples got in the boat. They went back to the other side where they came from, and, and that's the area of Capernaum. In this region, Jesus was followed by the multitudes. Now, you might feel like this is a big crowd today, but, but this was a small crowd compared to the one Jesus was followed by. He had thousands of people waiting for him when he got off that boat. And in this crowd was a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus. Let me tell you about Jairus. Jairus was the leader of one of the local synagogues, which meant that, that he was in charge of the facility. It meant that he protected the sacred scrolls. He scheduled the traveling teachers. He organized the synagogue school he prayed often and led the services in the synagogue. He was a religious elite, a respected man among his peers. He was influential. He was wealthy. So for Jairus to be caught in this crowd around Jesus would have been shocking. Because Jewish men like Jairus were skeptical and even critical of Jesus at this time. And they sure didn't associate with all the needy people that tended to follow Jesus around everywhere. But something happened in Jairus' life that collided with his conservative theology. Something happened in his home that humbled him to the point where he didn't care what people thought. He just had to get to Jesus. And it had to do with his daughter. There was a crisis at his house, and it was a parent's worst nightmare. His 12-year-old daughter got sick, and she was about to die. We don't know what the sickness involved. All we know is that they had tried everything to help her, but no one could. All the doctors could do was send her home to die. Hear me, church, this wasn't an, a flu-type illness where she was sent home with an antibiotic, and they hoped she could get better. She was literally put in hospice. She was days, maybe hours away from taking her last breath. Jairus at this point was a desperate dad. 
Meaning there was nothing he could do to fix the situation. And that's when he had the faith to go to Jesus, no matter the pushback he might receive from his fellow Jews. And Mark records this man's journey of faith for us to learn from today. We're going to go with this man, Jairus, from the point of his crisis to the point where Jesus intervened and fixed it. And from this journey of faith, from the point of crisis to the divine intervention, I want to show you four things that we can learn for our own journey of faith today. Look at verse 22 and 23. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Jairus' desperation activated his faith in the great physician. That's the first thing I want you to see from our text. Desperation can activate our faith. You see, the crisis at Jairus' house is a stark reminder of the universal nature of trouble and sickness and death. No one's exempt. Church, listen, trouble confronts the rich and the poor. Sickness attacks the godly and the ungodly. Death takes the old and the young. Think about it. Jairus had wealth. He had status. He had connections. He had influence. As the ruler of the synagogue, he was a devout man, but these factors could not stop his daughters from getting sick and they could not heal her disease. There's a technical and theological term for this reality. You ready? It's called life. This is the universal fact of life. Whoever you are, trouble knows your address. And it will show up at your house sooner or later. But I like Uh, What I like about Jairus is that, that even though his situation was desperate, his response was right. He took his problem to the Savior. His desperation activated his faith. He came to Jesus because his desperate need drove him there. And that's when your desperation and my desperation can actually become a gift from God when it draws us closer to the Savior. When it activates your faith. What is faith? most simplest definition I can come up with in the context of this passage is this. Faith is a complete trust in God to handle anything. That's what it is. Jairus showed this kind of faith when he fell at Jesus' feet. He asked him to heal his daughters. And then did you see at the end of verse number uh, 23 where he said, she shall live. He had complete trust that Jesus could indeed handle any situation. Question, when something comes into your life beyond your control, when a crisis hits your home and you can't do anything to fix it, how do you typically respond? What is activated in your life when trouble comes? Is fear activated? Is worry activated? Self-pity? Discouragement? Willpower? Control? Anger? Rebellion, indifference. Do you try to run from the crisis that hits your home? Hey, we should learn from Jairus and let the desperate times in our life lead us to desperate faith. Are you listening today? The kind of faith that will throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus in complete trust that he can indeed handle anything. 
faith that believes that, that Jesus can handle your sickness. And that Jesus can handle your broken marriage. And that Jesus can handle your rebellious teenager. And your unsaved spouse. And your aging parents. And your joblessness. And your financial setback. And your disappointed expectations. And your personal brokenness. And that Jesus can handle your anxiety and your depression. I'm talking about faith that Jesus can handle any situation in anybody's life at any time because you truly believe Jesus can handle anything. That's the kind of faith that should be activated through our desperate situations. And look how Jesus responded to Jairus' faith in verse 24. And Jesus went with him. This is interesting. How many know that Jesus could have spoken the word and Jairus' daughter could have been healed without Jesus ever going to Jairus' house? You believe that? You should believe that because the Bible gives us a time when a centurion came up to Jesus and said, hey, my servant back to the house is sick and is about to die. I believe that you can speak the word from right here without ever going to see him and he could be healed. And Jesus said, I'm amazed by your faith. Let it be. And he didn't even go to the house. Jesus could have done that here. But that wasn't his plan. He wanted to walk with Jairus for a little bit. He, 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 wanted to, uh, he, he wanted to go through the valley with him for a little bit. See, seldom does he heal our situations right away. And that's okay because sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is not that Jesus instantly take our problems away, but that we experience the presence of God in the midst of our problems. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Jesus said, you, you, I could take your valley away with a spoken word, with a snap of a finger. I could do it instantly, but I won't do that because I want to walk with you through it. Amen. See, apparently there, there are some things that Jesus wanted Jairus to experience on his way to healing. It apparently wasn't just about the healing moment. It was about the journey on the way to his house that mattered the most to Jesus. So they began to walk together to Jairus' house. And as they do, we won't read the entire text. I'll just tell it to you. They're interrupted by somebody in the crowd. And it was a woman with an issue of blood. She had been struggling with this health issue for 12 years. The text says she had been to every doctor imaginable and they couldn't fix her even though she spent her entire income to try to get fixed. She was desperate. Just like Jairus was. Jairus had a 12-year-old daughter that was about to die. She had a 12-year-old disease that was about to kill her. So you know what she did? She, she, she snuck up behind Jesus and she touched his garment. She had faith to believe that if she could just touch the Lord's garment, she would be made whole. You see, she didn't want to cause a scene because she knew, and you could study in the book of Leviticus, that her blood issue among the Jewish people would have made her unclean in society. She was as good as a leper in that day. Anything she touched was considered ceremonially unclean. If she sat on a chair, they had to clean it. If she rubbed up against somebody, they had to take a shower. But she didn't want to approach Jesus openly. She just wanted to touch a portion of his robe. But she believed that was enough. And the text told us it was enough. Immediately she was healed. The sickness left her body. And it's interesting, church, that Jairus wasn't even aware of what happened because he was so focused on leading this woman or leading Jesus back to his daughter. But Jesus knew what happened. 
Jesus knew that somebody touched him and that healing power had left his body. So you know what Jesus did? He stopped. Aren't you thankful Jesus stops? He stopped and he asked, who touched my clothes? Now we're studying Jairus from the text. Can you imagine how this made Jairus feel? His daughter was on her deathbed. She was supposed to die any minute. And Jesus is stopping to ask who touched him in the midst of a huge crowd. The disciples even got irritated with Jesus with that question. What do you mean, Jesus? You're getting touched all over the place. How are we supposed to know who touched you? This is before COVID restrictions, of course. No doubt Jairus felt like this was an interruption that delayed Jesus from getting to his sick daughter. He's probably thinking, man, this woman has been sick for 12 years. She could handle a few more days. My daughter is a 12-year-old kid, and she could die at any moment. What are you doing, Jesus? Why did he delay? That's my question. Why did he stop to get the woman's confession? Who touched me? Well, I believe one reason was for the woman's sake. He wanted to see her face. He wanted to meet her personally. He wanted to honor her faith. More importantly, he wanted to give her complete healing, not just physically, but spiritually. I'm thankful that Jesus isn't in such a hurry with other people that he stops caring about me. I'm thankful that that the all-powerful God of the universe can hold the world in his hands. He can deal with your problems and mine all at the same time. But in light of the greater context of this passage and how Mark wrote it, he started with Jairus. It's one of his, what they call Mark and sandwiches. Started with Jairus, put another story, and he's going to end with Jairus. This story complements the meat of the sandwich, complements the bread. So in in light of the greater context, I believe Jesus stopped to get this woman's verbal confession so as to build Jairus' faith. See, he knew the news that Jairus is about to get concerning his daughter. He knew that Jairus' faith was about to take a hit. So he chose to delay and tend to this woman, not just for the woman's sake, but for Jairus' sake. He wanted Jairus to see, what I did for this woman, I'm going to be able to do for your daughter. He didn't delay so he could frustrate Jairus' faith. He delayed so he could grow Jairus' faith. And that's the second truth. Delay can grow our faith. Desperation can activate our faith. But delay can grow our faith. And in our fast food society, we don't like delays. But especially in the areas in which we are relying completely on God to intervene. When it's out of our control, waiting's hard, isn't it? But if you think about it, delaying to intervene, it shouldn't, it really shouldn't surprise you God works that way. It's all throughout scripture. Why are you surprised when God decides to cause you to wait? Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible had to wait. I'm not more special than they are or were. Like Abraham prayed for years for to have his only son Isaac and God gave him and Sarah Isaac. And then when when, when Isaac was anywhere between 16 and 20 years of age, he said, I want you to go sacrifice Isaac and, and give him back to me. And there was no argument in that conversation. By faith, Abraham grabbed Isaac, took him up to Mount Moriah. And you know when God finally intervened? It wasn't on his way once he saw Abraham would do it. It wasn't halfway up the mountain when Abraham was sweating. It wasn't once they got to the altar and Isaac was like, why are you putting me on here? It wasn't even when he wrapped his body to the altar. It was when he raised his knife. That's when he intervened because he wanted to grow Abraham's faith. I believe that. 
In John chapter 11, Jesus had a good buddy named Lazarus. He was sick. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus was away with his disciples, not in that same town. And so they said, go get Jesus. Tell him and his disciples, Lazarus is about to die. I need him to come back. And Jesus got the news and he decided to stay. And the disciples said, what are we doing? Lazarus is about to die. And you know what Jesus told the disciples in John 11? I am glad for your sake that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Why does Jesus delay with this intention? To grow your faith. Someone wisely said, waiting time is never wasted time. Boy, I believe that's true. I believe God's delays are always on purpose for a purpose. He doesn't want to frustrate you. He wants to grow you. I begin to think that, that that's cute in a, in, a, in a package sermon, but how is that true in my life? For me personally, in, in the delay, I get to know God better. See, see when, I, when I'm waiting for God, I tend to pray more. When something's out of my control and I can't manipulate it, persuade it, or fix it, I, I tend to talk to God more about it. I tend to go to his word more. And it's in those moments that I'm more sensitive to his leading and a still small voice in my life. Talked to a man not too long ago and he's going through a crisis situation in his own life. And he said, you know what, Pastor Tyler, in this season of my life, I find myself praying all the time. I'm driving down the road. I'm praying. I'm on my work. I'm praying. I'm going home from work. I'm I'm praying more than I've ever prayed in my life. That's God's intention. In the delay, you, you get to know God better. I found you get to know yourself better. You know when your true character is revealed? When you don't get what you want when you want it. That's when you know who you really are. Like when you go to Sonic during happy hour and you don't have the app so you can't sneak in. And you got to wait in line like all the normal human beings. That reveals my true character. Have I talked to you about my journeys down Pershing Avenue? The old brick road that I can't figure out is why is it still brick? Why do we have bricks on a street? And secondly, and second, well, that history's already passed us up. <laughs> and on top of that, on top of that, people, I mean, the speed limit is technically 30. You can go 33 or 34. <laughs> you don't have to go 29. And then every little dip, you, you go down to 10. Are, we, are you kidding me? You're going to make me take Western to get a smooth ride home and, and have two lanes. It's unbelievable to me. My property taxes say wheat. No, just kidding, just kidding. I'll get to that later tonight. I'm talking about that tonight. Come back at six o'clock. The point is simple. In the delay, you get to know who you really are. The weaknesses of your faith are exposed when God doesn't give you what you want when you want it. You know, thirdly, in the delay, you get to know others better. You remember Joseph in prison? He was falsely imprisoned. And instead of moping, when he was waiting on God for justice, he, he became sensitive to the other prisoners. He would have never showed that kind of empathy to the guys that were locked up and needed their dreams interpreted. If you remember that, he would have never showed that kind of empathy if he hadn't been going through something himself. I have found that I can have sympathy for people feeling sorry for them, but I can also find I can have empathy with people if I've been down that road before. I feel what they're feeling. Somebody loses a brother, I know. Someone has a miscarriage, we know. Someone struggles with infertility, we know. Someone has cancer, I've never been there. 
I can sympathize as a pastor, but there are some ways in which I get to know other people better when I travel the same valley that they're traveling. And I get to know what they're feeling and I'm in the trenches with them and understand that God might be putting you in a delay so that your life can interact with somebody that's feeling the same thing you're feeling and struggling with the same thing you're struggling with. Be ready to minister in those moments. If you're in a waiting time right now, just know it's not wasted time. The story continues in Mark chapter 5. The woman has just been healed, both physically and spiritually. Jesus declared her whole. He told her to go her way in peace. And check this out. While he spoke those very words, one of Jairus' servants comes running to him in an outright panic. Verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? This, this is crazy. This is crazy. In Jairus' mind, things were already bad. His little girl was about to die. Jesus has taken a sweet little time dealing with an unexpected interruption. And because of that, things have gone from bad to worse. His daughter's dead. And the messenger said there's no need to even bring Jesus. Tell him to go back. Your daughter's Gone. You see, Jairus knew in his heart that Jesus could heal his daughter if he could just get Jesus or get Jesus to her. Now he's left disappointed. And instantly Jesus knew that his disappointed expectations threatened his faith because Jesus began to instruct him in verse 36. Look what he told him. <coughs> as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the rule of synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. I love this. Jesus said, the bad bearers or news are not going to have the last word. I'm going to have the last word. And before I get there, let me give you two commands, Jairus. Number one, don't be afraid. Study with me for a moment. In the original Greek, the imperative, be not afraid, has a grammatical emphasis that forbids the continuation of something that is already taking place. In other words, fear had already consumed Jairus' heart and his mind. So Jesus told him, stop. Stop being afraid. And he gave him the second command, only believe. Keep believing. It's also written in a a tense that's present and continual. Here's what Jesus is saying. Stop being afraid, but don't stop believing. You see, Jairus had enough faith to leave his dying daughter at home and come to Jesus and ask for his healing help. But disappointing news started to replace his faith with fear. And that can happen so quickly in our lives. Our faith is high one moment. We're hopeful one moment. Jesus is on the move one moment. And then we get bad news. And instantly disappointment fills our heart. We believed. And it looked like it was going to happen. Or it looked like Jesus was going to prevent it from happening. And then the bottom falls out from under us. And that's the next truth. Disappointment can replace our faith. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. You know what that means? When we hope for something and the opposite happens, we're left broken hearted and shocked and even fearful. And here's why we're fearful. Because we instantly begin to think or ask to ourselves this. Now what? My mind was centered and my heart was centered on this reality. But this happened. Now what? What step do I take next? 
What do I believe next? Who do I go to next? How do I respond? How will I carry on from here? Early part of 2018, our family got the call that my brother had been instantly killed, working on his truck and slipped into gear and ran him over and killed him instantly. We grieved through that for a long time. Some ways still grieving through that. But I can remember when I went over to my parents' house and they told me that night and we were just broken, I remember thinking for, for like a good solid week leading up to the funeral, that very question, now what? The reason that, that disappointment gave way to fear in my heart is because I began to think of his wife. Began to think of his three kids all under the age of nine at the time. I began to ask God, now what for them? Now what for those daddy's girls? All three of them were daddy's girls. Now what for his business? Now what for all his land? Now what for Sheena? Now what for my parents who are devastated? God, what's next? How do you respond to something so deeply hurtful and shocking and fearful and unexpected? My amazing mother-in-law is here. She's the best mother-in-law I've ever had. And don't tell her that I've told you any different. She's married to an incredible, incredible pastor and preacher for several decades. Pastor of the Bethany Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. Jenny's dad, Julie's dad, who we named our son after. His name was Kevin. He got diagnosed with cancer. I think our whole family, including Brother Kevin, believed. We had our minds made up like Jairus did. He's walking with Jesus. We were walking with Jesus through this valley. We saw little victories in there. Then we saw setbacks and we saw victories. Then we saw setbacks. And you know how it is with cancer. We didn't stop believing. We truly had our minds made up that God's going to touch his body. He's using him in too much of a significant way to take him from this life so early. And then they get the dis disappointing news that they're going to put him in hospice. I, I, I mean, I guarantee you that my mother-in-law thought many times, now what? Her life revolved around helping her husband in the ministry. His girls were thinking, now what? My grandkids might never grow up to know my, my dad like I did. Now, what? Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt fearful because what you truly believed would never happen happened? Or what you believe would happen, never happened. And now you don't know where to go from here. I got good news for you. Jesus meets you today with the same answer he met Jairus with. And he's telling you from his word today, stop being afraid and keep believing. Keep believing when your sickness comes. And keep believing when you lose your job. Keep believing when marriage problems arise. Keep believing when help is delayed. Keep believing when you don't feel like giving up. Keep believing when you want God to say yes, but he says no. 
Keep believing when death stares you in the face. Keep believing when you've lost what you love the most. Church, hear me. Life is filled with disappointments. Promises aren't kept and dreams are unfulfilled and goals are not reached and hopes are not materialized and people are not what they seem to be sometimes. And in the valley of disappointment, you'll be tempted to give up and to give out and to give in. But don't let your disappointment have the last word. Be not afraid. Only believe. These radical commands from Jesus left Jairus with a decision to make. He could accept the report of the messenger or he could heed the commands of Jesus. And it's the same choice we all have to make at some time or another. Will you believe what your circumstances say or will you believe what Jesus says? Jairus chose to believe the word of the Lord. And so they pressed their way to Jairus' house. Look at verse 38. And he come into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult. That means a commotion. And them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he has come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. By the time Jairus made it home, friends and family had already gathered. And guess what? The professional mourners had already been hired. In the near Middle East, listen, families paid their respects to the dead by open displays of mourning. So they would hire flute players to stand outside of their house and play really loud. And they would hire women that would come. They'd call them welling women. They would stand in their front porch and mourn out loud to signify to the neighbors and the area that this family has, is grieving a loss. And the wealthier the family, the more mourners they could hire. So this, this commotion was very, very, very large. And it kind of bothered Jesus. He asked him, why are you doing this? Why are you playing your flute? Why are you crying? You ever asked a woman why she's crying? That's a dangerous question. They probably said, I don't know. Moving on. He said, this girl, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Now let me make it clear. The girl's dead. She wasn't breathing. Jesus was using a euphemism here. Because to him, she might as well have been just taking a nap. Because he knew her death was only temporary. And did you notice what the mourners did after Jesus told them that? They laughed at him. And this wasn't a hidden chuckle. Get this. This was an open laugh of derision. They were scorning him. They went from mourning to mocking. They knew the little girl was dead and any suggestion otherwise was hilariously ridiculous. This wasn't their first rodeo. They had mourned outside of hundreds of homes before and their mourning never brought somebody back to life. So to think that Jesus could do this was laughable to them. And so what did Jesus do? He put them out. I love it. Doesn't mean he knocked him out. He just put him out. He told him to leave. Doubters and naysayers weren't going to be allowed to stay around to restrict the miracle. And that's where we get the next truth. Doubt can restrict our faith. Oh, you got to follow this. The power of faith is that it moves the heart of God to act on our behalf. But listen, doubt and skepticism and unbelief restrict that from happening. Doubt restricts the power of God. Follow this, please. I'm not saying that a lack of faith, we'll talk about this more next Sunday. I'm not saying that a lack of faith diminishes his divine omnipotence. Hear me. He never ceases to be an all-powerful God, whether you're full of faith or not. But a lack of faith does hinder divine willingness. Our doubt doesn't render God incapable, but it can render him unwilling. 
All you got to do is come back next Sunday and we'll see that he went back to his hometown. And he said, that's a son of a carpenter. That's the son of Mary. You're not the son of God. They doubted. And Jesus said, I can't even do any mighty works here because of your unbelief. Their doubt didn't restrict Jesus' capability. It just restricted his willingness. And he deemed it morally wrong to do great things in a place where there was no faith. And that's why Jesus cast out the doubters that were in front of Jairus' house. Because he wasn't going to let the naysayers doubt restrict the miracle. David Redding said this, it makes us wonder what miracles might take place in the house of God now if all of those who are no longer took Christ seriously were evacuated. I'm scared to offer that. Only a few would be left. But that is all a miracle needs. Perhaps no great things will come from the church today until this uh, prerequisite is filled. It is hard for faith to fight for its breath in the smug and stifling atmosphere of its enemy. Arrogant disbelief or worst of all, in the presence of pretending faith. How many miracles and how many wonders have we missed out on in our church and in our personal life because our doubt caused God to be unwilling to work on our behalf? How many times in our lives have we resembled the mourners in front of Jairus' house in so much that the working of God on our behalf uh, seemed so incapable to us, impossible to us, that, that it was almost laughable to think that Jesus could or that he ever would. I'm not saying that our faith has to be perfect for God to work on our behalf. Our faith can be little and God can still work. He can work with just a size, faith the size of a mustard seed. Remember that teaching? Our faith can be wavering and God can work. Jairus' faith was wavering. He had fear mixed with faith. It's when our little faith or our, no fa our, our wavering faith becomes no faith. That's when we restrict God's power. Here's what we're building to this morning. Your faith will be tested by your circumstances. By your delays. By your disappointments. Even by the doubt of those around you. That's called the journey of faith. Between the crisis and the divine intervention, your faith will be tested. But you must do what Jairus did. You must keep believing. If you're desperate, keep believing. If you're delayed, keep believing. If you're disappointed, keep believing. If you're starting to doubt, keep believing. If those around you are starting to doubt, keep believing. Because here's the truth. When you keep believing, God keeps working. And that's what he did for Jairus. Jairus followed Jesus into his house. They put the doubters out. Jesus led the girl's parents and his disciples into the room where the child was. He walked up to her dead body. He took her by the hand and he told her to get up. Guess what happened? She got up. She walked again. She talked again. And she ate again. She was dead but because of the faith of Jairus and the power of Jesus, she was now alive. God rewards our desperate faith. Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I need to be clear as I close. That doesn't mean our faith puts God on the hook. And it makes him do whatever we want him to do. Please get this. This next statement is very important. Divine intervention is subject to sovereign discretion. God may choose to heal your situation immediately or over time. He may heal it completely or partially. 
he may heal it on earth, or as in the case of my father-in-law with cancer, in heaven. Either way, God sees your faith, and he will respond to it and reward it according to his perfect will and in his perfect time. Here's the truth. You can't control what happens to you in a lot of ways. You can't control God's response to what happens to you in a lot of ways, but you can control your response. And that's what the message is about today. It's not about whether or not God can. The text shows us he can. He has power over demons, disease, and death. Here's the question for you today. Do you believe he can? Do you still believe he can? And are you going to keep believing that he can? Because even though your faith doesn't guarantee God will, your lack of faith just about guarantees that he won't. Would you just bow your head quietly where you're at for a moment? Don't stand quite yet for our invitation. I wonder if you're here today and you've stopped believing that God can handle your situation. The reason why I didn't spell out a bunch of scenarios of possible situations represented in our room is because I can never even get close to touching them all. But you know what your situation is. You know the crisis in your home, in your life today. And maybe you've stopped believing because of God's delayed response. You've asked and you've asked and asked, but nothing's happening. Please hear me. God's delays don't always mean God's denials. Just because God says not now doesn't mean he's saying never. You keep believing. Maybe you've been disappointed with enough bad news. It seems as though your situation keeps going from bad to worse. Right? When you think you've taken a step forward, you have to take two steps back. And you're just tired of that happening. And now fear and anger and bitterness and indifference is replacing your faith. Keep believing. Maybe your doubts come in. And it's completely taken over because you stopped fighting a long time ago. So it's not that you have wavering faith or little faith. You have no faith if you're honest. And you needed to hear this message for your situation today. That God doesn't need perfect faith. He just needs a little more than no faith. Maybe you need to come and ask God to help you start believing again. Even if that belief starts with the size of a mustard seed. I'm challenging you, church, to start believing that God can handle anything. And as God takes you on your own journey of faith, between your crisis and his healing, keep on believing. Would you stand to your feet?